Welcome to the Film Situation Podcast. So the Sundance Film Festival just concluded and the winner of the U.S. Dramatic Jury Prize was a film called A Thousand and One. A Thousand and One was picked up by Focus Features. It actually seemed like it went into Sundance already with the distribution deal because I'm finding an article from Deadline from October that uh, Focus Features is distributing the film theatrically and setting a March 2023 release. So I guess it'll come out next month in theaters. And that was directed by a New York-based writer-director named A.V. Rockwell. And I guess she was one of the eight women in this year's female-led competition. Congratulations to A.V. Rockwell. I'm definitely going to check out that film. The film, it takes place in New York City in the late 90s. And it's about a single mother that's moving from shelter to shelter. And I guess she kidnaps her six-year-old son from the foster care as they sort of improbably forge a line and bond. And their darkest secret threatens to disrupt what they've built. Stars Tiana Taylor, Will Catlett, Josiah Cross, Avon Courtney, and Aaron Kingsley Atatola. So congratulations to the whole team behind that film. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's well-deserved. Definitely plan on watching it. And I'm going to play a clip from having a talk a couple of days ago with our friend Maddie Johnson. Uh, Maddie, she's a filmmaker also based here in New York, but she was out at Sundance. And here's a clip with some of her experiences. And after that, we're going to play a throwback episode of the podcast when it was the previous podcast called Film Scene. And I had interviewed um, the Sundance alumni filmmaker, Rashad Ernesto Green, but I'll, I'll play that a little bit later. Hello? Hey, Maddie. Hey, that's how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, just sitting in the Salt Lake Airport, and uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, <laughs> a, they, have, they have a grand piano, and there's like a little girl playing it right now. That's She's amazing. doing a beautiful job. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. This is my um, first time here, and it was really fascinating. I mean, like... I mean, Park City is really interesting, like watching all these films and getting a sense of like, just like what's out there, what are people doing? Um, and then also like the, like the networking part of it too is, is also really fascinating. So it's been, it's been a great few days. Nice. And were you there yeah, just mostly yeah. hanging out and watching movies and networking and things? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm honest, I am um, actually, this, part of this was inspired by um, the Yonkers Film Festival because I was like, Oh, like I, I like there's something that happened with one of my shorts um, because I because I, I attended the Yonkers Film Festival. I uh, got an offer for the for the educational rights of a short that I'm working on, and oh, I was wow. like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really like it was exciting, and I was like, oh, and when I show up to things, like sometimes doors open that I would be surprised about, and I don't expect necessarily, you know. Yeah, so I was like, absolutely. well, what would happen if I show up to Sundance? And like, like I, I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, nothing like utterly groundbreaking. It's not like I was, you know, queen of television and uh, you serve right. each other. Right. It's not like they offered you, you know a, I mean? they didn't offer you a five picture deal just for showing up. Right. 
But right, either way, right, I think right. it's still inspiring. And, and, you know, that's why I attended as well, like, you know, yeah. sort of years ago when I was first kind of getting into filmmaking just to watch yeah. movies, feel inspired, meet people. And yeah, yeah. so that's what I want to also pick your brain about. Like, what, what movies did you watch? Did you, did you get a chance to watch a lot of films, first of all? I did. Yeah, I did. I, um, I, I watched a bunch. I saw, um, like Scrapper this morning. It was, it was, it won the best world traumatic, uh, narrative film, uh, which was really, really great. It was like a great way to start my day. Um, I also, yeah, I loved, um, Shada also. Um, I know two producers who've worked on that and it was, it was phenomenal. And like hearing the writer director talk was like, this is great. Um, and I also saw Fancy looking, Dance. I'm looking up yeah. right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was like funny and joyful and existential and like it was, it was great. I loved it. So Scrapper is a British film. Um, yeah. It's about a 12 year old girl that continues to live alone in. Yes. Near London. Yeah, it's, a, it's true. Yeah, yeah. This girl, um, her mom dies and she's like deeply resourceful. So she's kind of been able to like keep up the charade that like she lives with her uncle who doesn't exist. Um, but then all of a sudden her dad shows up and he's been like absent, doesn't know how to cook or clean. Like he's like, you don't get dad vibes from him. You get like, you know, I don't know, like party dude or maybe a bit more. Um, Got you. And yeah, and it's about their, their relationship together time together directed by charlotte regan stars yes. harris dickinson and laura aikman and yeah i'm not sure if i'm familiar with any is it any of those actors but it's cool to always see new faces on screen yeah 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 well also one of the leads is like a young girl so yeah so like often those sense. roles are new newcomers yeah yeah totally yeah nice. yeah what else did you yeah. see that you liked so I saw, I also saw Fancy Dance. Um, it was a narrative um, uh, about like an in, in, in indigenous community, in particular, like a young indigenous woman who like wants to go to a powwow to like meet her mom, but her mom has gone missing. Uh, and so she's taken care of by her aunts. And like, it's, um, it was really well done. I saw that yesterday. Um, that was and it was by- like, Directed by Erica Tremblay, and yeah, yeah, starring Lily Gladstone, Isabel yeah. Giroy Olson, and Shay Wiggum. Shay Wiggum, I'm yeah. familiar with because he was on Boardwalk Empire and he was in the Silver Linings Playbook, and he's been in a bunch of things. He's a really good actor. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 And they were they were all did a really phenomenal job. Um, it was really, it was like, it was tense. It was emotional. It was. Um, had funny moments too. I felt like I, I felt like I was really situated in like that community, and also was able to just really like enjoy their story and their relationship, and also like feel a lot of things and have my mind open in a lot of ways too. Um, nice. I think it's, it was. It was. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think like when a film is really good, it's like hypnosis, and you're just pulled into the yeah. world of the film and just yeah. pulls you in, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really lovely. It was really lovely. Um, yeah, so those are some. I mean, I, I also saw the new Iris Axe movie, the new John Carney movie. Um, you know, I saw, I saw a bunch of some really solid stuff. Um, 
but yeah, so those are some of them. And, and Shada, I mentioned, and that was, that was another favorite too. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Irish yeah, Sax movie yeah. is that called Passages? Is that right? Passages, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, um, what was that about? It was really that one was about a, um, a man who's a film director actually, but he and he's like married to his husband, and then he hooks up with this woman and ends up falling in love with her and it's about like you know his relationship to his husband and her and um and it's a really and yeah it's like a really interesting film about like love and communication and like to some extent identity too and um and it was what I loved most about that movie is that I felt like I like some movies you kind of know where they're going to go and how they're going to end. And this one, I was like, I'm not really sure what's going to end up happening here. Like I, I just was like, really didn't know. Um, and that was really great. Uh, and then we heard Ira speak after uh, at a Q and a, and that was cool to hear him talk about like a little bit about his process and also about his, um, like his, cinematic style too like his camera choices and stuff like that that was that was pretty cool i've definitely heard of him i can't i can't say if i've seen anything that he's made i if i'm remembering right i think he may have done like little men if i'm remembering i think that actually this is the first film that i've seen of of his but i did do that yes that's right yeah and i'm looking yeah looking it up it's with yeah. yeah 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 um and then I, I did also see the John Carney film. He did one, um, and he has a new movie with, called Flora and Son. Um, and, yeah, that also was really wonderful. Um, if I'm honest, I kind of Oh, okay, one. I've seen Sing Street, John Carney's uh-huh. new film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this one is, did a really good job about – I mean, they all – at least, I mean – they have this beautiful conversation about music and connection and like relationship and also like distance and, um, and this one, I really, I, yeah, I, I did oh, enjoy he also that. did, uh, begin again with, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Aha. Uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And Kira Knightley. And I enjoyed that one as well. I thought that was really good. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Catherine Keener. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Flora and Son. So I'm looking that up. Yeah. Um, oh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's a good actor. Yeah. I always like yeah, seeing him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, I think the the woman who was the main character, she was really phenomenal. Someone had mentioned that she may be Bono's daughter. Uh, maybe look that up before you include that, that clip of it. But, uh, is it Eve Hewson? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I liked her. I thought, like, she did a really good... Yes, daughter um, of Bono and Allie Hewson. Uh-huh, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did a great job, I think, of, like, of just kind of, of I mean, because it's about her relationship with her son, who's a teenager in high school, and, like, I just really got a lot of love and also a lot of, like, exhaustion and, like, wit's end and frustration and also, like, I'm ride or die here forever for you. Like it just, it just was really beautiful. Um, nice. It was re- really beautiful watching the relationship. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to look out for that one. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of really, I mean, there's a lot of really, really strong 
films. Um, and it was really interesting to watch it in terms of like just style, artistic choices. Um, you know, I also saw Past Lives, um, which was really great. I think it was, I think Celine Song, maybe her name, um, of the writer. Um, but that also was wonderful. I like, I mean, it was, it was really well done. I mean, you could tell the audience was moved. Like, you could just like hear it as the movie unfolded. So that was really, that was really great. Yeah, I'm looking up that one as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like film festivals like that is just uh, heaven for people that love films, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like, um, you know, yesterday I was in the, a theater that's like, oh, hold on. Can you hear that? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> should I wait for a sec or should I, should I keep going? Uh, yeah, maybe we could wait for a sec. <clears throat> okay, I think the announcement just stopped. But, um, uh, Pass, and Elsa. Past Lives is directed by Celine Song about yeah. Nora and Hey Song, two deeply connected childhood friends. After yeah. Nora's family emigrates from South Korea, 20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It was really great. It was, because um, it was about, like, love and destiny and also about, like, identity and, because, um, you, know, you know, she emigrates and so, like, she talks a lot about, like, being Korean, being Korean-American, like, um, and it's just, it was really thought provoking. Um, and I will say like, yeah, the conversation around love and destiny was so beautiful. Like, um, it just was really, it just was really moving the whole way through. Honestly, it was great. Nice. Yeah. 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 Out of all the films that you saw, what, what do you think was the most standout film? Like what, like what did you love the most? Um, I think it's really hard. It's a hard, hard one. I think. Um, I think Fancy Dance is one of. It's probably the one that I love the most. Um, mostly because I'm really. I mean, I'm really here for it. Like, I really loved the. Um, I loved the like artistic vision of the of the director. Um, and I just loved what it was doing about like talking about um, indigeneity and like indigenous communities and what's happening, but it just did it in a way that was so grounded in these people and their relationship, and uh, and it was beautiful to watch it unfold. Like it was, it's about family. It's about you know, it's just it was just was. I felt so human and also um, very distinct too, and just I just. I loved it. Um, and they did also a really solid job about like, you know, just the, the pacing, the tension, like watching things unfold, watching plots, like come, like go apart and come back together. Like, um, and it was just, this was well done, you know, it was well done. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I yeah. guess, uh, for people that aren't familiar with you or audience, of the podcast, I guess, give a little introduction about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm Maddie Thompson. I'm a writer, director, uh, and producer. I, um, 
been doing this work for maybe like nine years now. Um, but, and then I've had, um, you know, one, a feature that I wrote based on dance second rounder for the development lab. Um, take, wait for a sec until that uh, announcement goes off. Maddie Johnson is our correspondent that's out, out in Park City, Utah right now. She's at the airport. Yeah. Yes, I'm at the airport. I'm at the airport. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing this, by the way. This is really cool of you. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to do it. I'm so happy to do it. Yeah. My, um, my friend Heather Buckley was out at Sundance, too. I saw from oh, really? on social media. And she's a producer that made this punk rock horror movie called The Ranger that was at South by Southwest a few years ago. And oh, she's, awesome. She's doing awesome. a bunch of things. I'll introduce you guys in New York at some point. Yeah. Heather Buckley, yeah, I'd love to meet her. I'd love yeah, to meet her. Yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting. It's also like I've had a few projects that have uh, advanced in Sundance Labs, but not never like won one. So it was nice to kind of see like some of the finished pieces that they do really love uh, and just kind of learn from that too. So that was really exciting, I think. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just got an email from this this uh, director named Tom DiCillo. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I don't know if I have. What has he done? Yeah, he's done some of my favorite. He did one of my favorite independent films about independent films, which is called oh, really? Living, Living in Oblivion with, uh, oh. with Steve Buscemi and Catherine Keener. And it's, oh, if wow. you've never seen this movie, you have to see this movie. It's, it's amazing. I can see this movie. He, did, yeah. uh, he did a lot of films in the nineties the indie film director from New York. I guess he's in out in LA now. He's just sending me an email. Mm -hmm. He's going to be on the podcast. Oh, that's so, great. So that's excited, great. Excited to speak to him. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. You said living in oblivion. Yeah. I highly recommend that movie living in oblivion. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. So Maddie, um, what's, what's sort of next on the agenda for you? What's kind of, what are you working on? Anything that you yeah. would like to sort of plug or talk about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm working on a um, short film called Grief of Comedy, and it's about um, a woman who loses her dad and about her first day back to work and about all the ways that people grieve differently and all the ways we don't really, as a society, always know how to support people who are grieving. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I have a, um, a feature that I'm attached to as a director that just advanced to the second round of, of like, to stay in the Lower East Side, um, like future grants. Uh, so my fingers are crossed for that. I'll, I'm sending the material soon. Nice. And that one's about a um, a woman who's trying to like um, get custody back from for her daughter, uh, but she has to kind of like overcome her drug addiction in order to do that. So it's a it's a it's a great script. I worked with. Um, Denise and Scott on it, and it's just like it's it's a wonderful. I love it. I love it a lot. I'm excited to see it forward too. Nice. And you you were. Um, I'm sorry. You worked with who? On it? Uh, her name is Shanice Inez Scott. Uh, she's a writer that I've met and worked with on the, the project for a couple of years, and uh, it just is really. It's a beautiful story. I'm like so excited to see it move on in the world and move out. And see what happens. Awesome. I'm excited too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so those are some of the projects. I have another um, a series that I'm working on called The Sacred Seven. That's like an interfaith group of friends, uh, and including an atheist. But it's, that one's all about how 
what does it mean to be friends with people who are really different than you? Uh, and it's like comedy. It's a, uh, um, right now there's an hour long version. There'll also be a half hour version of it, but working on that story soon. I like that. I mean, that's, uh, resonates with me. That's the story of my life right there. I, I'm, yeah. I grew up in an Albanian, I'm first generation Albanian, but I feel like I always had a pretty eclectic group of friends. Yeah. 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 And I think actually like, like part of, if I'm honest, the story was kind of born out of, um, if I'm honest, like watching a lot of things on social media, people like defriending other people because they couldn't handle different views, different posts, things like that. Um, and I think honestly, like whatever people need to do for their own well-being is good and right. But part of what the story is about is like, we can, like, what does it mean to love, to deeply love and have like deep friendships with people who are really different? And like, yes, what I love that. Mean? I love it. Yeah. I think yeah. we need more of that because I mean, yeah. especially nowadays where people sort of curate their friendships, like, like, you know, like when I was growing up, you, we didn't have caller ID at some point, like, you know, like it was mm. just. Like, you didn't know who was calling you on the phone when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you picked up the yeah. phone. Now it's like, okay, I see who's calling me. I probably know what they want. Maybe I'll pick right. up. Maybe I won't pick up. If I'm annoyed right. at them, I'm just going to ignore them. You know, and it's right. kind of like we're living in those kind of times more and more in general for a variety of reasons. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, so I, I think that's a really cool idea because I, I was just kind of talking yeah. about that concept in a, in a sort of broader way. Somebody. yeah 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 and i really i think it's like it's just really interesting because i do think that you can really love people who are so different from you and like you don't need to be different they don't need to be different but it's about like how you care and respect one another that that matters a lot you know what i mean and like and i think the reality is is that like there are some like part of what i'm wondering about is like what are the skills to do that because not everybody does that well right like there are people like where I can feel disrespected or not understood or things like that. So it's about like showing what does it look like among these, among this, these, this group of friends of like, what, how do they treat each other? That is something we can learn from, you know, like that's, that's what I'm wondering. That's, that's why I wrote it. You know, No, that's really good. That, that, that's, uh, I'm not blowing smoke here. Like that's, that sounds like a really interesting concept. And I think that's something Thanks, that's, yeah. that I would Thanks. personally be into. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I will say it's like also like deeply irreverent. Like they're all like young and 30 and trying to figure out their lives. Like they're all like, you know, like, I mean, honestly, the first episode, the main character like uh, gets drunk at a bar and like sleeps with some random dude. And then we realize like the next day is her first day at a job. She's a priest. And the guy she slept with is a parishioner. Like, it's like, <laughs> and it was just like, and she's like, a, she's like a super like human person. Like there's nothing sanctimonious about any of these people. Like, they're just regular people trying to figure it out, yeah, you know, like, and that's yeah. really joyful. Like watching these people who are like, um, yeah, they're just humans. Right. And it's like, what does it mean to be deeply human and to love other humans? I think one thing that I think about, like when, it, when I think about this topic, uh, is I always try to factor in when I have like a misunderstanding or something like that with somebody, I always attempt to try to factor in intent. Because yeah. even the law factors intent, right? I mean, it's like mm-hmm. if you kill somebody by accident, it's like it's radically different than if it's like a premeditated sort of murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an extreme example, but it's like why don't yeah. people do that enough in yeah. everyday situations? Yeah. Is like look at the intent of what, yeah, you know, what somebody's intent is really. Yeah, yeah, 
and I think that's like what's really true about this group of friends is that you know like they like they're not they like have their own frictions too you know like because they're all they're all their own people but like they're really ride or die they're here for each other like they will show up at each other's things all the time to support one another you know and I think that's really this is really exciting I was like yeah just like what, what does that love look like you know nice and yeah. um where could people follow along with you on social media or check out what you're yeah. doing, support what you're doing? Yeah, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I am. Uh, uh, people can check out my website. It's uh, MadelineMJohnson.com. Um, and from there, there's ways to follow me on like Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram too. Nice. Yeah. Oh, well, Maddie, I'm going to get going. I have to gear up for a shoot on my side over here. I love it. You're doing the hustle so hard, like <laughs> going you. from like podcast to filming, like who knows what's next. You know what I mean? Like that's really I'm, awesome. I'm though. trying. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, am I nuts? Am I just insane? <laughs> I think that's just how it goes. Like I feel like we're always on the run. I mean, I don't know. It's like uh, it takes a lot to get it going, you know. So yeah. I think that makes sense. That well, makes sense. I hope the filming goes great. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm doing like a documentary sort of thing in, in Pleasantville, New York. So I have to like gear up in the car. I'm, right now I'm in the Lower East Side. I'm like have batteries uh-huh. charging. I'm just gonna grab like my gear, <laughs> get in the car, and then head up there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, <laughs> thank you. There's a love language to having charged batteries. Do you know what I mean? Like I am ready <laughs> to take care of business. <laughs> yep, got those V mounts ready to rock. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's great. Thanks, That's great. Maddie. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much, Steph. Take care, okay? Hey, Rashad Ernesto Green back in 2020. This is actually literally days before the pandemic that I'd uh, interviewed Rashad. All right. We're so excited to have Rashad Ernesto Green on Film Scene. Thank you, Rashad, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I saw Premature, loved it, and uh, it's been exciting to actually see the progression of your work as a filmmaker, because I've been following your work since screening your short films back in the day in Times Square, which I don't even know if you remember that. But uh, we screened Premature and your film Cuts and the early shorts. And uh, Was it in Times Square? Was it, well, it was near Times Square. It was near, on 44th Street at the Producers Club back in the day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, it's been a while since I saw you. I think the last time I saw you was in 2014 at the Cannes Film Festival. And we oh, just ran wow. into each other walking down the street, <laughs> all dressed up, coming from a party or something. Oh, nice. And, yeah. Uh, so I remember seeing the short film version of Premature. And, you know, I want to be careful because I don't want to give any spoilers about your feature film. But it's safe enough to say that it's it's different than the short film. There's some similar themes, but it's it's definitely a departure. A diff- right. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm also kind of curious about the title, like keeping the same title. Yeah, so when Zora and I got into a room, Zora's the lead in the film. She plays Ayana. Uh, she was the, the lead in the short film from 2008 as well. And we've been friends ever since that, that time. I cast her when she was 14. Over the last few years, she's all grown up now, we were talking about working on something else together and collaborating on something. And we got into the room finally uh, after a few years of just talking crap and said, let's, uh, let's write a feature together. And we decided to write a love story 
because we wanted to offer alternative to the kind of black cinema that we had been used to seeing, which is often, you know, an overabundance of films that deal with black victimization, fear, suffering, pain, and the, and, and the like. And so it's, I decided to explore black life and black love instead. And while we were drafting this love story, themes from the short film began to influence us. Scenes, events, setting, character uh, began to creep its way into the story. And so we embraced those elements and the two became one. Amazing. And her performance was outstanding. And it actually took, because she is grown up now, it actually took me a while to see that it was the same girl from the short. And so that was kind of a cool moment looking that up. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and the short was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. so people don't often put it together. Yeah, so, so that was pretty great. And, and in general, the performances were amazing, man. Thank so you. So I would love to know a little bit about your process behind that. And obviously you had a great cast as well, so you have a good eye for picking talent. Yeah. But uh, I would love for you to speak a little bit about your directing process when it comes to working with actors. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but I was an actor first. I went to NYU graduate acting school, earned a master's in acting. I was in school with Susan Kelechi Watson and Corey Stoll was in my class. Sterling K. Brown was a couple of years ahead of me. Denai Gurira uh, was right behind me. So I was uh, in school with, with some wonderful, wonderful talent and the professors were incredible. And I came out in the real world, acting being my first passion. And realized that the industry uh, wasn't what I had hoped it would be. Uh, and I went back to film school, you know, because I didn't want to necessarily wait around for the industry to catch up, you know. Uh, so I decided to start making films on my own, start making the films that I wanted to see on screen uh, that that delved into our lives and and our culture in, in a ways that, that, that I felt represented. So when I approach the writing, when I approach the directing, it's always from that foundation of acting. So when I'm casting, I'm always looking for that magical element that somebody has that feels like, you know, they can bring a level of authenticity to the screen, to their performance. And if they don't have it, if they're a non-actor, you know, I, I still am looking for that germ. Yeah, And so sometimes I'll combine actors and non-actors and you won't necessarily be able to tell the difference because they keep each other on their toes and, and you know, hopefully what, what I'm able to bring with the background that I have is I'm able to suss out that performance that sometimes they don't even know is there. And so that's what I, that's what I bring to the table. I, and when I, when I went to film school initially, I, I was nervous you know, I thought, you know, I'm in trouble because I, you know, I hadn't had a background in film education. And there were a lot of my classmates who, you know, had done their undergrad degree in filmmaking. And I, I, I had a, you know, a large learning co- curve to get over. And uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that I had a pretty decent foundation to telling stories having come from an acting background and the theater. Uh, I knew sort of inherently that 
there is an obstacle in every scene and that you start off the scene in, in one way and you end it in another, uh, that, that the character has an overall objective and a journey over the entire uh, piece or whether it's a play or a film that you start in one place, there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end uh, to that character's journey, uh, to the story. And so, you know, I, I, I had tools that I, that I was unaware of that I had been working on for most of my career up until that point without necessarily knowing that I was working those yeah. tools. And so when I'm directing, I still am coming from that uh, actor's. I think that's a great sensibility. I know that you also co-wrote the script with Zora Howard mm-hmm. that played Ayana. Yeah. And what was that process like in developing the story with her and actually writing out the script? Yeah. So, I mean, not only, you know, not only, you know, did we work together, but we had been friends for a long time. You know, I cast her when she was 14 in the short, but I had known her since she was 11 years old. So there was a foundation of trust there. Uh, I don't know if I could have done that process with anyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a shorthand with each other. Uh, you know, we can call each other out. We can get into fuss and fights and, and know we knew that it would be all right. Right. There's you know, a respect there. There was a respect, but but also there was the, there was the ability to be honest. You know, sometimes yeah. when you're working with someone that you don't know very well, you know, everything, you know, you're trying to be careful all of the time and right. you're not always, um, yourself right and sometimes there's pleasantries that you just exactly yeah and sometimes it it can take a long time i think to you know to just get to the meat of the matter yeah where zora and i you know we didn't really waste too much time because we knew each other well and knew we weren't going anywhere you guys didn't sugarcoat anything we didn't sugarcoat (laughs) anything i mean you know maybe to like to a little extent you know to, to, to a small extent because you know yes we were friends but this was the first time we were working together in this capacity right so there was a little bit of like, you know, I don't want to offend her and she didn't want to offend me, you know. So, you know, the, the worst thing, you know, an artist wants to hear is no, <laughs> you know, that your idea is crap. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and no, she wasn't afraid to tell me, but she was, you know, she was respectful, you know, um, and, and likewise, you know. Well, clearly there's that foundation of respect that she respects you as an artist and what you bring to the table right. and how impactful your short film was. I remember screening your short film and just having the whole audience just like, <gasps> you know, at the end of it, you know, it's just like a visible, you know, like a visceral sort of feeling. And um, I think that's the what ties into the power of cinema and kind of why we do this as filmmakers to get that sort of impactful reaction. And so, you know, I guess there was, that's what's sort of nice about your collaboration is there was this also aside from you knowing her as a friend and you guys have worked together and she trusted you also as an artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, we got into the room and just asked ourselves what we wanted to talk about. And so we just, we, we, once we decided a lo- on a love story, we just shared our own stories about our past relationships, uh, the loves of our life, the heartbreaks. We talked forever, yeah. you know, and we shared art that we were, inspired by influenced by whether it be films music novels we just we we shared with each other and we watched films together we listened to music together and then we started drafting together was there stuff that she put you on to and vice versa that 
maybe you hadn't been exposed to before, whether it was films or anything like that? 100%. 100%. You know, um, uh, Zora is uh, a spoken word artist. And so she comes from the world of poetry. So she uh, also brought in music that I hadn't heard of and musicians that I um, that she introduced me to. And yes, she, she brought in a lot of that stuff. And then films-wise, you know, we, we re- revisited some films that we had both seen, obviously from the 90s and 80s. And, um, and then I introduced her to films that she hadn't seen as well. And, uh, and we just, we sat there, we watched it, we talked about it, and, and we let it take over us. Nice. Yeah. I, I get the feeling, my, my philosophy about actual relationships and love stories is that each one is unique. It's almost like a fingerprint. And so it's kind of interesting seeing this unique story of Ayana and Isaiah mm-hmm. develop and kind of seeing where it's going to go and taking certain conventions and then defying other conventions, mm-hmm. you know? So I thought that was really cool of sort of how organic it kind of developed. And by the moment that they actually have their first kiss, I thought it was super impactful. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. We weren't necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that. You know, it, I mean, love it often looks similar in people's lives, but you know, to, to make it, as specific as we could to the characters that we were creating, you know, hopefully it, it, um, you know, it feels authentic. No, there was, there was definitely a degree of specificity. And even in the scene where they first meet, I thought that you did sort of something sort of really brilliant, which I want to kind of unpack because Isaiah is talking to her in the swings, and, and I love that shot when they're, it's, it's at night in the park and they're in the swing set. And she's kind of cold to him. She doesn't really give him the time of day. Mm-hmm. But upon really examining that moment and where her head space is, earlier in the day, she was there in the park with her friends and it seemed like she was kind of breaking it off with another young guy. And mm-hmm. so you're kind of in her head space of, you know, it's, at first, it seems like she's kind of a cold character, but really thinking about that moment, you're like, oh, well, you could see why. It, it makes perfect sense of why maybe she doesn't want to hear this guy right. kicking game. And she talks about Guys it. Guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> and she talks about it in a very poetic way. It's like mm-hmm. kicking game. like Or I don't want to botch the line. So right. uh, it was a great line, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's kind of over dudes, you know, in the way they are, especially young dudes. Yeah, yeah. You know, who don't know what they want, and they're always trying to play games. Right. You know, and here this guy is showing some interest, and she clearly is attracted to him. But she always knows, you know, she, she, she knows that guys always have a line. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he, uh, his presence is very poeticized in general. So I like how that was there with the character and your use of poetry in the film was that something that was there from the beginning or is that something that kind of evolved to that point? Well, the, the funny thing was that we didn't write any poetry into the film at all. The poetry um, is, is Zora's domain. You know, she comes from the spoken word wor- world. And so we made Ayana a writer. We, made, we knew that she would be a poet, but we weren't going to actually hear any poetry in the film proper. Uh, there was none in the script, and when we got to the production, there was none there either. Uh, but during one scene in particular, the scene where he 
reads her journal and discovers her writing. We were going to, uh, you know how the scene ends is, is where she starts to read that poem yeah. to him. The scene ended on paper where she's about to start speaking and it cuts to another scene. But on the day when we were shooting it, I thought, well, we're here. You know, why not? Why don't you just say a poem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sure you have a few, you know, memorized, you know, Zora had, a, you know, she's written books of poetry. Um, and so she just pulled one out of the hat, you know, um, and I, you know, I said, you know, this is probably not going to make the film at all. You know, this will, this is just something to have just to, to, just to be able to cut out of, you know? Yeah. And, but she, we did it several times and she finished, you know, she finished the poem each time. And so when we got into the cutting room, my editor, Jas, Justin Chan, he edited the, the montage of, and I don't want to necessarily give away the film, but there's a, there's a moment where she goes to the doctor and the, the, the montage was done with poetry over it, that poetry from that scene. It carries over into this montage at the doctor and, uh, and it worked really well. You know, but yeah. it, but it, but it stood out as sort of like the only poetry in the film, and and so when we were assembling and realizing that we needed a little bit more of a way into Ayana's internal thought process and what she was feeling, her interiority, we felt like poetry might be a nice way to get us there. And so from the editing room, I'd call Zora and ask her if she could throw me a couple of lines of poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, she was like, well, well, what's it, you know, what's it about? What's the, what's the scene? You know, and I was like, okay, so, um, you know, in the, the train, when you guys, you're, you're, you're looking at the couple kissing, um, give me something about, you know, I don't know, yearning, yearning and yearning for love and She'd be like, oh, okay, well, what's the shot? Oh, okay, uh, it's my eyes, and then it's, it's me looking at a couple? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the next day or, um, you know, a couple of days, she would just shoot just a couple of lines of poetry, and we just place it, you know, like, you know, via the iPhone or something, you know, she, the, the voice recorder. She sent it, and that's what ended up in the film. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love how that evolved sort yeah. of very organically. yeah. Uh, so I think here's the litmus test of how to show how great of a movie and how much I love the movie is I was here in my office on Thursday and when I got the screener link, I was only planning on watching five minutes before heading home. Mm. I take the Metro North home to Westchester mm. and I was let me just watch the first five minutes of the movie because I feel like you could always learn a lot from the way a filmmaker opens a film in the first five minutes. So mm. I like to sometimes just absorb that. But I watched the first five minutes. I called my wife. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late. <laughs> and uh, I just sat and watched the whole thing. I, oh, couldn't, wow. I couldn't take my eyes oh, off of wow. it. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very well done. And I, I want to ask more about uh, the casting of Isaiah's character because sure. their, their chemistry was amazing. Yeah. So was that, was that a difficult role? To cast, I'd say yes, because uh, we, we didn't necessarily know anyone to fit the description. You know, we wrote the role, 
and there was a young man I had in mind uh, from LA who's a wonderful actor and uh, met him when we had a reading in New York uh, we put the you know the feelers out there and asked everyone that we knew you know to 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 recommend somebody who fit this description and you know neither one of us had worked with Josh but he came recommended and came to the reading and hadn't finished the script yet but had such a handle on who Isaiah was that his his interpretation I just made me fall in love with him yeah and and the character and, and he was a little bit older than what we had written the role to be but when casting the pro- the, the actual casting process came around I just asked them to to come in looking young, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just that's, you know, you know. You know um, that's probably the best direction you could give. <laughs> come, come in fresh, man. You know. Yeah. And uh, and he did, and yeah, you know, it it was, it 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 was tough, but you know what what he brought what he brought to the table was just exactly, you know what what the character needed and. You know, because not you know, kind of everybody was playing a little bit younger than they were. Yeah. Um, but it, they, but you, but it works. Yeah, 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 it works. Yeah, it works. And 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 that was you know, so so you know, you know, made that game time decision, and I like never look back. You know, their chemistry is just so uh, kinetic. I mean, you feel it from the, from the moment that they look at each other. Yes. And. You know the the scene where they're falling in love in the Caribbean Day Parade. Yeah, was the first time that they had worked together. Like, wow. Yeah, you know that was that was supposed to be our rehearsal day. Um, Amazing. Just threw them out there and we're like, go be in love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I like how the park is sort of uh, a backdrop <laughs> in in a lot of the scenes from the movie. Because I think just in general from being a New Yorker and being born in Manhattan and just seeing a lot of recognizable places and you know, I, I had kind of a surreal moment because I was taking the Metro North train home that night and I was literally thinking about the film and then I'm sitting there, the stop opens up and it's one twenty fifth street at the same exact location mm-hmm. as <laughs> as one of the scenes in the movie. And so I thought that was kind of a surreal moment. Yeah. And then yeah. Then seeing the shrine, I used, to, I used to actually film at the shrine. I have to give a shout out to my girl Exonda that I used to film at the shrine, and my friends Tan and Righteous. When I was first getting started out as a filmmaker, I was filming artists. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it was it was great. The funny you mentioned, you know, Harlem, you know, being like almost in character in the film. All of the 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 major like the the major four roles in the film, everyone lives like within a four or five block radius in Harlem. Me. Zora, uh, Joshua, who plays Isaiah, uh, and Michelle Wilson, who plays uh, Ayana's mother, That's all amazing. all live with like within a five block radius in Harlem. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that was that just sort of happened. I well, I know that yeah, happens. Yeah, that is happenstance. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know where Josh was living, yeah. and he just happens to be from the South too. Like, yeah. so you know, we wrote this character that's a transplant to Harlem from the south and found a transplant to harlem from the south you know <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and, and and he's and, he, and he's fantastic and as far as you know yes he's he's a musician in the film uh but 
Josh has a musical background as well. You know, he he's a he's he sings as well as just as well as he acts. You know, he's a he's a Broadway singer and wow, um, yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic, fantastic talent. Yeah, and I, I liked how music was part of the backdrop and just I guess the nuanced sort of nature of him as a character, being a musician that can't quite finish things. I w- I was kind of curious about. The, the evolution of that as sort of a character arc. Cause I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all struggle as artists, right? Yes. You know, so, you know, we gave his character uh, something to, to, to wrestle with, you know, and, and he's dealing with the, the passing of his father and, and how that uh, as has inhibited him uh, because how he measures himself up to his father and the kind of artists and musician that his father was and so it makes him stagnant to an extent. And we, you know, we've all gone through that and we, we, we know what that is. Um, obviously the reasons being different for everyone, hundred percent, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we wanted to give him something that he was wrestling with internally, um, to make his character three dimensional. Amazing. And the performance of the mother was also yeah. uh, an amazing find and just, just, the dynamics of the relationship between Ayana and her mother and, and the scene with her in the kitchen when she just knows, doesn't say a word, but her, the reaction, I thought that was completely brilliant. And that's just cinematic gold, really. Michelle Wilson is an absolute blessing. Um, Not only is a, as an, actress and performer but as a human being and she's um yeah she's a gift she came into the audition room and we had that scene where she uh, discovers uh that i i don't know if if we want to give everything away but she discovers that ayana is up to something yeah i know i I have to press a button that says spoiler alert that's the (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um but you know in in the in this in the scene that we had in the script there were just a couple of words that we had written there at the end of the scene and it was like oh ayana something like that yeah but on the day michelle i don't know if she you know she didn't have the the fold of the page or it was on the next page or it, but she didn't say those two words for whatever reason. And she just looked at Zora who was in the casting room as well. And just with that intensity. And it was so clear that that's all that scene needed was, was, was that intense silence that Michelle gave because you didn't need any words. She was saying everything that she needed to say with that, stare it was so impactful and so so you know we cut you know we just cut those words we cast michelle and she was able to deliver on the day and and every 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 single scene that she steps into she's just so natural and uh really really helped us ground this film yeah i i loved even on the establishing scene where you first saw her and ayana's like i'm, I'm going out with tea she's like oh you're going out with tea just yeah you could tell that she knows that She's lying, but <laughs> is not quite calling her out on it in right. the moment. But right. she's just like, text me when you get there, you know. Yeah. But it's like she knows. And yeah, so- Mich- Michelle, Michelle, um, she she raised uh, she raised a daughter as a single mother in Harlem. And so 
she had a lot of experience, you know. So so by the time that she came to this role, she's 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 drawing from you know a lifetime having lived sure. that role. There's a level of authenticity there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sense. and you know, just a just a note on on actors in New York. I mean, she's a Broadway performer, Tony nominated, Obie award winning actress, and. You know, hadn't I, I hadn't like necessarily seen like a, a huge reel with film credits and stuff like that. So for her to actually go into the audition room, having such a, a body of work behind her uh, and and the talent that she has, to to, to humble, you know, to to be humble enough to, to to enter a room and do the work necessary. I just I have to you know uh, take my hat off to her. Um, for for being so willing to assist us uh, with her with her talent, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that is a testament to a lot of talented actors in New York, and she certainly has the chops. Yeah, <laughs> they they all do in your in your film. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've been hearing that a lot. That the performances are just outstanding. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I that that's the part of the process that I think I love the most. You know, is. Um, directing actors who are just willing to be there and play, you know, yeah. and, that, and that group of friends, not everyone in there has acted before. Uh, Alexis Marie went, uh, was on the spoken word scene with Zora. Had never acted in anything, but she had wow. performed, you know, she had performed on stages with the spoken word. Uh, she just had such a vivacious personality and she's an extrovert. And she was when, uh, you know, when the idea was thrown to her. She she ate it up. She was like, "Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. let's do this." You know, yeah. and uh, Imani Lewis, I have to, I you know, another blessing. You know, I had hadn't worked with her before. I'd seen her briefly in 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 eighth grade. Uh, she was in that film, and she came into the audition room, and she just blew us away. She's just fantastic. And Tashi out of Washington, also a wonderful, wonderful talent who I'd worked with on Gun Hill Road. Uh, the getting them all together, they were just riffing off each other and talking over each other. I mean, they they just you can't tell, you know, the the scripted lines from where they where they ad lived a little and yeah. where they just threw in little flourishes. Like it just all flows. Yeah. So you got to upgrade your shit. Was that in the script or was that an ad lib line? That that was in the script. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was in the script. Yeah, yeah. That was, that, it that felt ad lib <laughs> in, in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would say that it was mostly scripted. You know, I would say it was a good a good 90, 95 percent. Yeah. But but it's some some of the the, the little touches. You yeah, know, yeah. just make it make it all flow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like how it even starts off where you sort of hear the subway and then the first shot that you see of Ayana is her actually looking at this other couple mm-hmm. that's sitting down mm-hmm. in the subway car. Mm-hmm. So I, I I thought that was kind of a cool little kind of touch of you're watching her observing these other people. Right. And I think that ties into cinema in general is that it's sort of a voyeuristic sort of medium that we're just interested in kind of watching, you know, characters and people's lives to some extent, and especially when they're, there's a lot of depth of these characters that are, make them interesting to watch. Right. They tie into story itself. So Yeah, I mean, with that first, you know, when, when we're introduced to her, we want to, you know, we wanted to, you know, get you into her mindset immediately, you yeah. know, 
into into to what she's yearning for, even uh, if her friends don't know. You know, we know. We know immediately what she's after. I like that. Yeah. And <laughs> it was funny, too, when they got out of the subway platform and just kind of the riffing with those those other young men. Right. That were <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's what I find that's interesting, too, is and what I really like that you did is there's a lot of people that make characters, they make them sort of a certain type, like, hey, this is the strong character and they're just strong and that's how they are. Mm-hmm. But you made Ayana very nuanced and a lot of depth on her character that, you know, she is strong, you know, she does stand up for herself, but then there's also the vulnerability too, that kind of shows throughout the story without trying to give anything away, but it's realistic. I mean, that's people aren't always one way the whole time. There's sort of, you know, that emotional kind of peaks and valleys that I think uh, you showed with, with both characters as well. I think in, in order to keep an audience interested, you have to show growth of character. You know, um, if you're one way the whole time and you haven't changed over the course of a story, then why are we watching that story? Absolutely. But it wasn't just like a, it wasn't just kind of, a, it was just done very well. That's what I'm trying to comment on. It's, it was a, it was an organic sort of nuanced, really, um, very realistic. And yeah, yeah. I mean, we try, we try to bring three dimensions to every character that's on the screen, and not necessarily, you know, paint someone in a one-dimensional way. Yeah. You know, we want, you know, everybody to be right and wrong, and have feelings and depth and history, and we want these decisions to be tough and difficult for them. We want, we didn't want anything to be easy. And for sure, I, I felt as as an audience, you know. Uh, just the level of empathy yeah. for the characters, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that you're really kind of on their emotional trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, amazing film. And is there is there anything, I guess, else that you want to touch upon, upon the making of this film or just anything, that you, anything else you want to talk about premature before we sort of get to the next segment of the podcast? I mean, it was a real labor of love. You know, if you want a, a, a real taste of independent, gritty New York filmmaking. Go check us out. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> Comes highly recommended for myself. Yeah. So I guess that, that kind of ties into the second segment of the podcast to talk about what kind of films really inspired and influenced you as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. You know, but, you know, I didn't necessarily know I was going to be a filmmaker. So I, 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 I had to give myself a little bit of a film education um you know once i got to film school but the films that i grew up on i grew up on the films of spike lee and spike lee was your teacher if i'm not mistaken right oh yeah spike lee was uh was my professor at nyu and uh one of the major reasons why i attended nyu graduate film school because not only did he uh attend there you know that not only did he go there himself he also uh, taught there, and he, he and he encouraged you. Yeah, 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 very much so. You know, once you know, once I was in school, um, yeah, you know, I just uh, I, I've been a fan of his since you know since my er- earliest memories of film. She's got to have it. There was uh, there was always a uh, well that one I was a little bit I was a little bit young for. 
Right, right. Uh, right. Because the, and the subject matter was very, very sexy. So my 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 dad didn't 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 allow me <laughs> to watch that one when it came out. Yeah, that's, but that's um, understandable. I didn't th- I think I was familiar with that one until later on myself. <laughs> yeah, it was and and, and what was the second one was um the the one at the college. Uh, school days. Yeah, yeah. That one, that one, that one also um, had some some scenes that I wasn't allowed to see uh, when I was young. But when "Do the Right Thing" came around, that was like that was it for us. I mean, we we watched that film so many times. Pivotal moment in my life, just to be able to see, you know, uh, someone who I felt represented me. You know, somebody who looked like me telling stories about us. And so, yeah, that was, it was, it was, that was a huge one for us. And so Do the Right Thing was a huge one. And, and I watched every single film of his that came out. It was always an event. And I remember uh, when I went to the theater with my father to see Malcolm X, uh, Jungle Fever was one, Boy, uh, Mo Better Blues, and all those ones that came out, like, in the, in the early 90s, um, back to back to back, you know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when Boys in the Hood came out, that was another that was another big one. Uh, love, love, love. Um, and God bless, you know, John Singleton who's passed now. Rest in peace to John Singleton. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, Tragic loss. That film, man, that, that was like I, I wanted to be Trey and I felt like that was representing how, how my father raised us. We kind of, we come from a single single father household, my brother and I, and saw so much of my dad in Furious Styles, and so uh, you know that 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 overprotective dad who was you know on the straight and narrow and um, trying to keep us out of harm's way the best he knew how. Yeah. Uh, really, really identified with that film, and then. Um, that was an amazing film, man. Yeah, and I saw it. Uh, so me and my brother used to just watch that film mm-hmm. over and over again, and it was it just it was such a good movie. And I remember just even being a kid in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I remember being at my cousin Vilson's house, and his older brother Rob had this movie with the cover. I'm like, what is that? It was like, this movie is what's going on. <laughs> and so then we would watch that movie. We loved it, and I guess that was my first exposure to Ice Cube as well. Mm. And as far as him acting, especially. You know, and you know when you're a kid, for, for us, maybe, maybe I couldn't articulate why I thought it was cinematically brilliant. But seeing it now, like seeing it later on, mm-hmm. not only does it hold up, you just realize, wow, John Singleton was ahead of his time. Oh, absolutely. What, what was he in his 20s when he, he was 23 years old? I think <laughs> when he was nominated for an Academy Award for that film and the youngest Academy Award nominee of all time, I think, and I could be mistaken, but I think to date for wow. best director in the best director category, beating wow. Orson Welles, which amazing. And just for him, to, because there's, there's so much in that film. It's, 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 it's incredible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Really. And I, and I, and I didn't know, um, no, I didn't know any fi- like film language at that time. I just, was watching a film that had a had a deep and profound effect on me. But of course, going back, you go, man, did this guy know what he was doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, definitely yeah. a master of the craft for sure. 
Was, sure. Is there a scene in that film that's particularly, I mean, there's so many amazing scenes, but is there a particular scene when you think about that film that's, that you think about that's impactful that you'd want to discuss? There are a few scenes in that film. There are a few scenes that, 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 I, that stand out for me. When, um, when Trey as a young boy is over his father's house and there's a thief in the middle of the night that uh, it's coming to, to, to look through the house to steal something. The way that's shot and the way that's depicted, young Trey is going to the bathroom to take a leak and Furious hears something, leans over to get the, the pistol and just the, just, it's so tense. And, and, and the, the dripping of the water in the tub, like you just hear it over and yeah. over again. And, um, That's and then, yeah, yeah, and then he yeah. blows the, 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 shots through the, the door. shots through the door. And there's a, you know, a, a life lesson for young Trey there. You know, you should have shot him dead. He said, nah, he said, you know, um, that would have just been another black man, you know, dead. And, uh, and then when the cop shows up. And then up, the yeah. cop shows up and says, I'm, it's, it's, it's a shame you didn't get him. You know, and f- this, is, this is not the lesson Furious wants for his son. That same cop, uh, this is now when, when Trey is older, you know, 10, 10 years later, um, is the one that stops him on the street when he's with Ricky. And the 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 anger and the self-hatred this cop has for his own kind. Uh, I just, I remember, you know, being so, you know, um, you know, introduced to that, to that aspect of, of, of self-hatred within the culture when one of your own can, can, can take the, the role of the oppressor. And in that instance, you know, um, takes Trey out the car and says, you look like one of these Crenshaw mafia MFers and blah, 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 and holds the gun to his neck. I just, I remember being so affected by that. I will say, even when, when I first saw the movie, thinking back at it as a young kid, I think it was the first time that I had a realization that how much environment affects people. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this kid, Trey, is a good kid, but just his environment is, uh, the opportunities that he has in that environment are vastly different than what he would have had, you know, somewhere else. And I, I do remember thinking that as a, as a young kid, but also John Singleton established that as a filmmaker that, you know, like in the characters very well that growing up with me, I don't know. It, it was just, it was very, it's very masterful filmmaking. And just from a 23 year old, this, yeah, that's ins- yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that he was that young, I, I don't even know what I was doing at twenty three. This <laughs> yeah. man was making a film that lasts a test of time. Yeah. yeah, just incredible. And then, of course, uh, in that same film, where and hey, spoiler alert! In case you haven't seen Boys in the Hood, yeah, somebody dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, so th- yeah, that sequence when um, the guys that they had trouble with at the at the uh, at the auto event um, are looking for trouble and they see the car and they try, they try to split up and run away. Just that whole sequence uh, is imprinted on my memory forever. You know, when, when Ricky um, meets his destiny 
and and Trey witnesses it. It, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just an incredible sequence, incredible filmmaking. Incredible. So, thinking about a second film that you'd want to maybe discuss a scene, is there any that come to mind? I mean, we could talk about do the right thing. We could talk about Rocky. What what else? What I else? I think we have to talk about Rocky because <laughs> that's another. Uh, I love that film, and that's another very impactful film. <laughs> when I was a kid, Rocky Four was my favorite. Mm. Movie. I'm like, oh, Rocky Four, like he, he beats the Russian, and you know, it's like I was, we were obsessed with Rocky Four, right? But then seeing in all the movies later on, the first Rocky was definitely. I mean, mm. that's that's my favorite one for sure. It's incredible. It's it's so incredible. Incredible film by John G. Avildsen. Yeah, uh, directed at, as well as Lean on Me and Karate Kid. Did you know that? I knew that he directed Karate Kid. Did not know that he directed Lean on Me, which yeah. is another great movie. Yeah, yeah. He had he had a, he had a string of them. He's yeah. gone now as well. Yeah, um, rest in peace to John yeah. G. Albinson. Yeah, he he's he's fant- fantastic, and 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 not too many people are aware that he had uh, many hits uh, in the eighties there. And um, yeah, Rocky, man. What a character study and just um, there's a scene where, you know, he gets a shot at the title and uh, Mickey, the guy that's, you know, uh, the trainer at the gym, old man, uh, comes over to Rocky's house and basically asks him if he can be his manager. Burgess Meredith. Yeah, if he can be his trainer. And um, yeah, Burgess Meredith and... And Sylvester Stallone is, uh, as Rocky kind of dismisses him because. Well, because Mickey would call him a bum. A called lot, him a bum. Up and, to that point. And it also took away his locker at the gym. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Rocky was actually kind of doing errands for wise guys in the mob. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, yeah, the muscle, the muscle for a mob guy. And, um, and Mickey didn't approve of his lifestyle, of his choice in life, and he said that he had talent, but uh, but he wasted it. And but now here, Rocky has a chance, you know, shot at the title, and Mickey wants to help, and Rocky doesn't take kind to it. You know, he's uh, he he feels very very offended that that Mickey's never been to his house before. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with my house my house stinks you know um and uh it's just just the build-up of that scene it's just with Burgess Meredith like just humbling himself and and talking about his 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 his, yeah his career and his glory days and um having his nose broken however many times and um and just the way he's just you could see that he's in in desperate need of this chance as well. And, and Rocky has the ability to give it to him. Uh, and, and, and it's sad because it's, it's, he's almost, he's almost groveling or, or begging for this opportunity, uh, with, with a man who like the power dynamic has shifted, you know, up until this point, all you have seen is Burgess Meredith's Mickey you know, sort of, um, literally calling him a bum. You're a bum. Yeah, yeah you're a bum. Get and, and 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 Mickey clearly has the power in the yeah. gym. Kicks him out of his locker. You know, we we need the locker for real contenders. And now, Rocky's a contender. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden now Mickey needs something from Rocky, not the other way around. And but but he's but but you can tell that he's coming from uh you know a, a lifetime of needing this shot. It's not just yes. about Rocky. There's it's so much on the, there's life. so much on the line. There's so much there's everything on the line. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's a good good way to put it. And, and it's the store of an underdog. And Rocky very much needs the help too. It needs that love from this man as well. But 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 he's so proud. You know, he's so proud. His ego has been has been bruised and uh, he's um, very weary of of people who haven't helped him up until this point, helping him now. Yeah. And he says, you know, where were you? Where were you ten years ago when I really needed you? And Mickey can't really say anything, you know. And and he leaves. You know, he leaves with you know, sort of hanging his head. And the Rocky's still saying and it, screaming it out. Rocky's just venting and getting it out and banging the door. And he's like, you know what? what's going to happen when I when I meet Apollo Creed? I'm going to get this. Bang. You know, I'm going to get my face busted in. Where were you? You know, all of this. And through the bathroom door. He had to go to the bathroom because he couldn't disrespect the man to his face. You know, he goes into the bathroom. He closes the door and he's yelling and he's yelling and he's yelling. And Mickey's just listening to it. And, and then he leaves. And then Mickey forgets his hat in the room and Rocky thinking he's gone comes out of the bathroom. Mickey had to come back and get the hat. And so they see each other for a second. And yeah. Rocky's like, Oh, and goes back into the bathroom. It's like the awkward moment. Yeah. And, uh, and there's that, that look on that look on Burgess Meredith's face, like, Oh, and he has, and he has to leave. And, and and just that shot when Rocky comes out of the building, it's just, it's dark and it's like, I don't know if they did a wet down, but it's just the most beautiful. Philadelphia, yeah. Philadelphia street. And, um, and then the and, score and they know, lightly trickles in. And yeah, and the score is there and Rocky comes out and it's a wide shot and he runs after Mick and there's no dialogue that you hear, but you just see the body language that he's, you know, accepting uh, Mick's assistance and it's gonna, you know, it's gonna have uh, him him train him. Amazing. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, so it's good. so good. I, I think what's uh, a scene in Rocky that's also amazing that every time I'm I'm always awestruck when I see the film and it's just kind of a little moment, but it's a for me it's a big moment when Apollo Creed, his whole team is in the office and they're sort of just. You know they're dismiss they're so dismissive oh, yeah. of Rocky. Oh, they're absolutely. like, okay, I'm going to steamroll right over this guy, <laughs> and that Rocky is on the TV, then hitting hitting the the, the meat, hitting the meat, <laughs> and then just like nobody in the office is paying attention to. Yeah, him. except his trainer, right? Right. Yeah, the trainer's. Like, hey, you might want to look at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah. right, right, right. That's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's sitting there like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he's breaking ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was concerned, but yeah, it was it was, it was a great setup. Yeah. It was a great setup to um to what obviously is the the, the final showdown. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, just even the way that movie ends is not how you would expect, you know, and it's, but in, in a, in a, the most brilliant way possible and actually just seeing th their friendship sort of blossom. I love that too, how they start off as adversaries and then kind of 
they end up becoming such tight friends that, you know, Rocky Four is about avenging his... Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the subsequent Rockies. Yeah, Yeah, the subsequent Rockies. So I do like that, the fact that they become great friends. Now we have a whole nother franchise. That's true, (laughs) right. Yeah, which amazingly done. I haven't seen the second one yet, but the first one uh, definitely uh, blew me away. Yeah. So what's, what's, uh, what's next on the agenda, Rashad, as far as... What what are the next plans? I know you're just finished in this film, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, is there any any other plans that you know you, you want to talk about, or any things just in the future what we could look forward to? Or I mean, I hope to keep on making films. You know, I um, signed on to a couple projects right now, and you know, working it out, and amazing. You know, we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, yeah, just you know, always always looking to tell stories that provoke thought and touch us in some way and um, make us feel closer to one another. I mean, well that's said. what we do, right? Absolutely. Very well said. <laughs> on that note, well, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast and always a pleasure to see you and wish you... Great. Hey, thank you so much. Man. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Film Scene Podcast with Zeth Kota. Produced by Alex Gray. Executive producer Jeff Cutler. Original music by Yuri Ryback. Sponsored by Alphabet City Films.